Hello and welcome to Radical Candor, a podcast from Panoply and Gretchen Rubin's Onward Project about how not to hate the boss you have or be the boss you hate. I'm Russ Laraway, co-founder of Candor Inc. and career-long operational manager across the Marines, Google, and Twitter. And I'm Kim Scott, co-founder of Candor Inc., also former executive at Google and Apple and CEO coach at Twitter, Dropbox, and a bunch of other great companies. I'm also the author of Radical Candor. So we've got another episode today focused on how not to hate the boss you have. I think one of the most common complaints about bosses around the world is micromanaging. You know these people. These are the people who tell you what to do and how to do it. They are so lost in the details that they don't fully understand the context. They set arbitrary goals. They hoard information instead of sharing their context with you. So today, we're going to talk about what you can do when you have a micromanager boss. Along the way, we're going to share some cringeworthy micromanager stories. We'll answer a listener question about whether micromanagement is ever deserved. And we'll finish up with tips for working with micromanagers in our candor checklist. Let's get started. Cool. Being micromanaged is unbelievably frustrating. It is the worst. The worst. We're, well, I, there's lots of bad things. But, it's but one I, of the many bad things. Honestly, one of the, the, about the worst thing you could do to me in the workplace is micromanage me. Yeah, it would not work. You'd feel undervalued and you'd end up being way less productive. I have a specific time when I was working at Google where I had a boss who was a little bit of a micromanager. And it was actually sort of straight from the theater of the absurd <laughs> because the guy, he just wouldn't even show up to my one-on-ones. And at the time, I was leading a really large organization. I, I don't feel like I needed a ton of management. You know, it was in, it was in the 700-person range. So actually, that didn't bother me so much, except we'd be at a meeting in New York or something, and he'd grab me at a break, and he'd come up and start trying to tell me what my organization's KPI right. should be. Right. KPI. Uh, key performance indicators, you know, a set right. of, sort of like a dashboard of measurables and things like that. And some of, you know, some of the stuff was okay. It was fine. But most of the stuff we were doing anyway, and he probably would know that had he ever showed up to our one-on-one. <laughs> so he didn't know what you were doing, but he felt entitled to tell you what to do. Yeah, exactly what to do. And not only didn't know what we were doing, he, he didn't really know anything about our business and didn't try to understand it at all and still would try to be very prescriptive. And uh, it just became untenable for me. Was, a lot of things about it were frustrating, but most of all was his trying to micromanage these small things that he shouldn't have been micromanaging. And I left the team as a result of this guy's insistence on trying to prescribe the smallest things. Yeah, sounds like kind of an arrogant manager. Uh, and, and you're not alone, Russ. I mean, I also, and I think probably most of our listeners feel the same way. I really value my autonomy. You know, I hate being told what to do. In fact, you might recall, we actually had an earlier episode of this podcast called Telling People What to Do Doesn't Work. Oh, I don't, right? I don't remember that. Yes, you do. Oh, you that's lie. right. Yes, I do. Yes. So wait, it's in the book and the podcast. In the book and the podcast. We're yes. pretty consistent. Yes. Telling people what to do does not work. And it's frustrating. The reason why it doesn't work, I'll tell you a story about a boss I had who was a micromanager. I would be sitting in my office doing the thing that I thought was the most important thing I could be doing in that moment. And he would walk in and tell me to start doing something else. And he was my boss, and I was trying to build a good relationship with him. So I would do what he said. I would 
I disagreed, but it was clear he didn't want to hear it. So I'd do this other thing. And he'd leave and he'd come back in and I'd be kind of like three quarters of the way through this other thing. And he'd be like, why aren't you doing what I was doing in the first place? What he just, it was so frustrating. It was like, have you ever done the dishes with somebody where every dish you put in the dishwasher, they pull out and put in a different place, right? You just kind of walk away and you give up and you let them do the damn dishes. This this actually happens a little bit at my house. Um, uh, <laughs> v likes for us all to put our stuff into the dishwasher. In a particular way. And then she will rearrange them. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I did at first with this boss. I remember there was one day in particular where he walked in and told me to do something different and then asked me why I wasn't doing the thing I was doing in the first place. And I was so frustrated, I almost started to cry. And then I decided, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to let him do all the work if he knows how to do it. (laughs) And I just quit pulling my weight. I love to write. And so I started writing a novel on the job. And after about a month of this, of him doing all my work, he came into my office and he said, you know, I don't really feel like you're pulling your weight. And I had to admit it was true. I wasn't pulling my weight. And I sort of confessed to him what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I was lucky. This guy was very understanding. And he actually admitted that it was not the first time he had ever been told that he was a micromanager. And he changed. He really changed. He would come into my office, ask what I was doing, understand why, and say, great, or have you thought about doing this other thing? And when I would explain why I wasn't doing the other thing, nine times out of ten, he would say, you're right, I'm wrong. And once in a while, he would say this other thing is actually more important, and here's why. So luckily, with a little bit of feedback and maybe a little passive-aggressive behavior on my part as <laughs> or a well. Lot. Or a lot. Yeah, or a lot. But not forever, for a month. And I confess, it all worked out. Got to give the guy credit for making the change. Um, yeah, a lot of credit. A lot for, of credit. For taking the feedback. Hard to change. So don't be a micromanager. It's incredibly frustrating. It is. All right. If you have a story about working with a micromanager or another type of boss that frustrated you, we'd love to hear it. Please email us at podcast at RadicalCandor.com, or leave us a voice message at 2626Candor. Coming up, we'll answer a listener question about whether micromanagement is ever warranted after the break. But now let's talk about Tripod. Throughout the month of March, we've been asking for your help to spread the word about podcasts. This is the last episode this month, so we'll ask for your help just this one more time. So here's what to do. Think of someone you know who might not listen to podcasts yet and think of a show that they would love. I'll give you a hint. If you love a show, there's a chance that someone else will love that show. Next step, so obvious. Tell them. Go tell them. Go tell them about it. (laughs) Maybe it's one of the Onward Project shows like Side Hustle School or Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Whatever it is, tell that person about it and tell us that you shared with the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y-P-O-D. Thanks for spreading the word. And now it's time for a listener question. So some people who have micromanager bosses feel frustrated But they wonder if their concerns are unreasonable. You know, should they just suck it up? So here's a listener question we received about this. My boss micromanages me all the time. She checks in almost every hour on some days asking if I did this or if she can check that or how such and such is coming along. I hate it. 
but sometimes I wonder if I'm actually asking for it. I've been known to make the occasional mistake, not life-shattering mistakes, but things I have to go back and fix once in a while. I'm feeling absolutely demoralized and untrusted. And worst of all, I'm doubting my own abilities. At what point do I deserve this treatment? And at what point is my boss just being horrible? (laughs) It's a really good question and actually kind of hard to answer because I would say find the person out there in the world who doesn't make the occasional mistake. Just because you're making a mistake does not mean that your boss needs to micromanage you. If you're just making the occasional mistake, what your boss needs to do is give you some feedback. And we've done a lot of episodes on the value of feedback. But there's a big difference between micromanagement and feedback. Now, if you were making a mistake all the time, if you were making a mistake every minute, then what your boss should do is not micromanage you, but just fire you. I'm going to tell you a story about a job that I had when I made a mistake every hour, and a big mistake. I was a bank teller, and I can't do math in my head very well at all. And there was a lot of pressure. There were big lines, so I had to sort of do math fast in my head, which was a disaster for me. And as a result, I made mistakes. The mistakes in one direction always got caught by the customers. The mistakes in the other direction never got caught by the customers. And so I gave away a lot of the bank's money that summer as a bank teller. And my boss, micromanaging me, would not have worked. Like, if she stood over my shoulder watching me, I just got more nervous and made more mistakes. What she should have done, frankly, she didn't do. She kept saying, if you just try harder, you can do better. And And now all of a sudden, it wasn't just a math problem. It was like a moral failing, like I wasn't trying hard enough. It was terrible. I would have been much happier if she had just fired me and I could have gone and mowed lawns that summer or something. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't deserve to be micromanaged really ever, but you might deserve to be fired, right? Yeah, if you you can't get it right, which I couldn't in that job. You certainly deserve feedback. We thought about this a lot. We tried to come up with some scenarios where we thought micromanagement was appropriate. And it's really hard to do. For me, I'm going to fall back to a little bit of uh, research. So there's this book that I love that I've mentioned on the show a few times called Your Brain at Work, written by a guy named David Rock. The author put together something called the SCARF model, which is an acronym that describes a series of threats, that social threats that you feel at work that manifest in your brain chemically like a real threat. Like, like a tiger like, chasing like you. Like a tiger something. chasing you, exactly. <laughs> and the SCARF model is status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. Not going into detail and all that, but picking out autonomy, which is the middle one. When you micromanage somebody, I think nearly by definition, tell me if I'm wrong, Kim, but nearly by definition, you are robbing them of autonomy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so there it is. If people will pretty darn systematically feel a threat response in their brain when you start to trample their autonomy, I think that makes the case that there's not really ever a time where micromanagement makes sense. Give the feedback, make the expectations clear. And if they don't, take care of business and find someone else who can do the job. Absolutely. I think that's so important. So remember, if you have a boss that's micromanaging you and you think the reason may be that you're making a lot of mistakes, just pause and think about me as the bank teller. It wasn't that I sucked. 
It wasn't that the job sucked, but that job sucked for me. And what I should have done, rather than accepting micromanagement, was find a job that sucked less for me. Like refilling ATMs? Yeah, not that, w- that would not have sucked less. I would have loved to paint houses that summer. That would have been a good job for me, or mow grass. Hopefully, our arguments give those dealing with these types of situations a little more confidence in the fact that micromanagement is just not the ideal way to work. Now it's time for detailed tips on working with a micromanager boss in this week's Candor Checklist. Uh, We shared some horror stories and talked about why micromanagement can be so demoralizing. So now let's get into some specific tips for improving your working relationship with a micromanager. So you might be micromanaged in one of two ways. You might be told what to do and you might be told how to do it. So our tips are going to walk through both of those. Yeah. And so tip number one is to set clear goals. I feel like if we can work together, a direct report of mine and and I, if we can work together, um, and same with my boss, to set a clear set of objectives for, say, the quarter or the month or whatever makes sense for your business, that is what enabled me to let people go. So we had a really clear, shared understanding of exactly what they were trying to achieve. And by us both knowing that, that was the thing that really allowed me to feel like, go achieve those goals and could really back away and let people just go do their work. So take control of your goals and set them yourself. Don't wait for your boss to tell you what the goals are. Tip number two, ask questions. If you're getting a lot of what to do micromanagement Clarify what is being asked. Why is your boss asking you to do this one thing? You can try saying something like this. So what I think I hear you saying is you'd like me to do A, B, and C. Do I have that right? Another thing you can do when you ask questions is that means I won't do X, Y, and Z. Is that okay? So this clarification is going to be important when Russ talks about tip number three. But let's keep on with tip number two. If you are getting the how to do your work, micromanagement, the thing to do is to ask your boss what their rationale is. If your boss starts to annoy you by being too prescriptive, get really good at elucidating their rationale. Right. So a few ideas on how to elucidate that rationale, right? I'm going to challenge you to bring out your inner questioner from Gretchen Rubin's Happiness Project. And so a question that you might ask when someone starts being prescriptive about exactly how to do something, you might ask them something like, well, what are you hoping this achieves? And you might also further ask, how do you believe this lines up with our objectives? Do you think this approach is better than another approach? And then if they say yes, for example, say, oh, why do you think that? Not in a defensive way, not in a super challenging way. I think in a genuinely curious way, because it might be the case they've got some pretty good ideas. But also through those questions, if if it's not a better way to do things, that might come to light very naturally. Right. I think it's really important when you ask those questions to say, I want to make sure that I understand so that I can do the right thing, right? Be humble when you ask those questions. Yeah. Which brings us to tip number three, the pushback. It might be the case sometimes that your boss's ideas are not the best. So if you're getting what to do kind of micromanagement, if it's not clear how it fits into the goals or priorities that you've already set in tip one, then ask, and how do you see this fitting into my other priorities and the goals we agreed to for me in the quarter? If the answer is, hadn't thought of that, 
doesn't fit, then the question is, what's more important? Those goals that we already set or this thing that you're asking me to do right now? And be open. Maybe the thing your boss is telling you to do right now really is important. Maybe priorities have changed. But you just want to be explicit about what you are doing and equally as explicit about what you can't do because you are doing this other thing. Correct. And look, if you're getting the how-to-do form of micromanagement, if you have a clear set of goals and priorities, then the nature of micromanagement might be less about what to do and more about how to do it. So by understanding their rationale for the prescription, you're in a position to say, listen, I appreciate that approach, but I'm accountable for these goals and I'm fine being fully accountable. But I really believe the approach that I've been pursuing is a better way to get this done. But explain why you think it'll be better. So get yourself on the same side of the table with your boss and say, we both want this to happen. Here's why I think the way that I'm doing it will help me do it faster or better or whatever. Makes complete sense. Tip number four, don't forget to quit. These were words of wisdom given to me by Gretchen Rubin at one point in my career. This is a tip we've mentioned in a previous episode, but it's definitely worth repeating. Yeah, and for me, micromanaging boss is flat out untenable. My most important job requirement is autonomy. I will push hard to cope with this boss, as we've outlined in our first three tips, for sure. But if I go through a couple cycles of setting clear goals, clarifying what I'm being asked to do and feeling micromanaged, pushing back, and things don't improve, it'll soon be time for me to sail on. I can hear Lionel Richie singing. Before you sail on, try to earn the trust. But if you just can't earn your boss's trust, life is too short. Try to find another boss. Yeah, totally agree. So let's recap the tips. Tip number one, set clear goals. Tip number two, ask questions. Tip number three, push back. Tip number four, don't forget to quit. Nicely done, Kim. You can revisit these tips by going to the show notes for the episode at RadicalCandor.com slash podcast. And that's it for Radical Candor this week. Our producers are Kristen Meinzer and Jennifer Lai. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply and to Elise Lockhart at Candor, Inc. Our theme song is written and performed by Cliff Goldmacher. Please, please, please let us know what you think of the show. And share your stories and challenges with us. You'll find us on Twitter at Candor. And our email address is podcast at RadicalCandor.com. Our website is, of course, RadicalCandor.com. And the Radical Candor book is available for purchase wherever you buy books. as a hardcover, an ebook, or even an audiobook. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend. Also, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you can automatically get each new episode. Don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover the show. I'm Kim Scott. And I'm Russ Laraway. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>